Amen. Appreciate that uh, beautiful song, Brother Robert. Thank you for uh, singing for the glory of the Lord. Why have you chosen me? We can all ask that question, isn't it, as believers? Um, but we all believe that um, we are so blessed because out of, uh, what, 7 billion people in the world right now, God chose us to be saved. God chose us to be sanctified. God chose us to be part of his service, his ministry. And we know that uh, the Bible says, I believe in John fifteen thirteen, you have not chosen me, Jesus Christ said, but I have chosen you and ordained you to go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain and whatsoever you shall ask in my Father's name, I will give it to you. Truly, uh, we did not seek after God first, isn't it? He came down looking for us in the beginning, as the Bible says in the gospel, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So we can say that the Bible is truly the book of God looking for us, you know, seeking after us because of his love, tender mercy, and his grace. And um, I don't have uh, an answer to that question, why Lord has chosen me or you, but all we can say is thank you, Lord, isn't it? Thank you for loving us first. Before we love thee, you first love us. So I thank God for this opportunity to share God's word in this last Sunday of the month of February. And I thank God for a beautiful weather we have today. Uh, thank God for the sunlight, for another day of life. Thank God for these beautiful flowers that uh, smell so good. It might make me uh, feel drowsy or sleepy, but uh, wake me up by your amen. amen. Amen? There you go. So when you say amen, it means that you are listening you're trying to understand by God's, great, uh, God's grace what I'm trying to teach or deliver to you. So when you say more amen, the shorter I'll preach. There you go. Is that a good deal? Uh, amen. But uh, <laughs> amen simply means you agree, isn't it? And you get what I'm saying uh, by, uh, you know, the help of the Spirit of God. But uh, being uh, in a serious note right now, as you know what's happening around the world, especially what ha what's happening in... Uh, a part of the world where there is uh, war right now. Uh, we're talking about the nation of Ukraine. And somebody says, and um, I tried to fact check it uh, among uh, the Christian realm. Ukraine is the main missionary standing country in Eastern Europe and Central Asia. So Christians around the world must rally behind Ukraine for prayers and a miracle. You know, we have a... Uh, a leader who has a very inflated ego, isn't it? And is trying to invade. And uh, I know he will uh, give account to uh, uh, the NATO nations. And uh, let's pray for wisdom for our leaders all around the country that this will stop this bloody, horrific um, loss of lives and property. But you know what? Um, God is still completely sovereign, isn't it? And uh, before I share God's word today, uh, our series of message in the book of Nehemiah. I just want to um, give you uh, something uh, as I shared last Friday in our joint Bible study. In Matthew chapter 24, I'd like to paraphrase these verses in verses 6 to 13. When the Bible says you will hear of wars and rumors or threats of wars, but the Bible says don't be afraid or don't be in the spirit of panic. These things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately because nations will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, and it's been happening worse now all over the world, and pestilences. It's like this global COVID-19 pandemic that changed uh, 
the world's uh, out view of life, isn't it? And economies and the way people, you know, uh, act in society and even like uh, an extended power or control of world governments and leaders, isn't it? With this mandatory stuff that they're trying to uh, push, even though uh, some of them are unscientific. But it's part of living in the last days, this what we call globalism, in uh, different areas of our society, whether monetary uh, system, whether religious system, whether uh, uh, society system. So we're going to that one world government, one world religion, one world ruler, the dictator, the soon coming of the Antichrist that will um, rule this world with false peace and false treaty. But uh, he's actually the incarnation of the devil himself because he will uh, mandate people for worship, uh, thinking that he is uh, God and he can solve their problems. And he'll be uh, hating the Jews and will try all his best to destroy them. And the Bible says also that uh, when famines and earthquakes and pestilences will be all over the world, but this is only the first of the birth pangs, so to speak. You know, when uh, a woman is about to give birth, physically speaking, there is that travail, that's labor, that's uh, the dilation, the pain is going to be in intense, and the intensity and the frequency of that pain is going to be there. And the same thing we can happen all over the world. The rumors of war, the pestilences, the earthquakes, the uh, spiritual corruption, and natural corruption is going to get worse and worse as we see the world is looking for that redeemer. The world is looking for that curse to be lifted up. And it's going to happen. Amen? Because Christ will come back again and lift up the curse in this fallen world. And he will set up his millennial reign of peace and prosperity. And we see here that the birth pains will be coming more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because of my namesake because you're my followers and many sad to say will turn away from the lord and betray and hate each other and many false prophets also will appear and will deceive many sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold or wax cold but the one who endures to the end will be saved matthew 24 verse 6 to 13 so the first thing we can notice about this passage is the command of not to be afraid all right don't panic our job as christians is to uh, not be caught up with the rest of the world with the spirit of fear because the Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7 God has not given us the spirit of fear but of you know, power and of sound mind and you know, of course self-discipline. The second thing we notice about this passage is that when we hear of wars and rumors of wars that the end won't follow immediately. We might be living in the end times but this is not the end of the end according to Jesus. The third thing is that we can notice here is Jesus turned warning against false prophets. It's easy when there is fear and turmoil to cling to words that make us feel good, but they may not be necessary be what the Bible says. So we need to beware of false teachers, be grounded in the word of God. This is no time to follow popular opinions. This is a time to stand on God's word. Amen? So what is our assignment as Christians? You know? Our assignment is, as God says in Luke 19, 13, as we see these things uh, transpiring in that part of the world, the Bible says we need to occupy till Jesus Christ comes again. Occupy until I come. The end times are not a time to sit on your rapture rug, 
and wait until Jesus comes back. The end times are for a glorious church to rise and to rule and reign with Christ as kings and priests unto our God, as the Bible says in Revelation 1.6. Now is the time to take our royal authority over darkness, to push back the darkness, to contend for souls, to go to war with our weapons of warfare, which is prayer and the Bible. Amen? And the Bible tells us that there is power in prayer, more powerful than we can ever realize. They can pull down the demonic strongholds in the earth, which in turn changes the physical realm. When we go after the kingdom of hell in prayer, we will begin to see the victory in the physical realm as well. As we pray for Ukraine, pray for the nations of the world, pray bold prayers and take authority over the dark powers and demons. Christ gave us that authority, the church and the gospel is the hope of the world because God says in Matthew 16, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It can never conquer it. Amen? So let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this moment as Christians. We are so blessed because we have freedom of religion. We have spiritual liberty in Christ. But right now, Lord, we remember our Christian brethren who are in Ukraine, who are uh, still in the spirit of prayer and faith that you will deliver them, that you will wrought a miracle with them. Lord, uh, I thank you, Lord, that as we look at our ho own home country, the Philippines, I, I believe is the number one country in uh, Southeast Asia who send and support missionaries to its neighboring countries. And we just found out that Ukraine is that number one country in that part of the world, in Europe, who sends out missionaries. And we pray, Lord, that may your will be done. Pray for your safety and strength for the Christians there. We pray now for the world leaders who are in uh, having these meetings and having these things that we would like to impose to be able to abate or stop this war. Uh, we pray for your wisdom and strength upon them. And we pray as Christians here in America that we'll never take for granted uh, the things that we enjoy here as an American citizen, as people who live in a free world, that we'll uh, continue, Lord, to be motivated to serve you, to uh, witness to others the only hope of this world as we live in the end times. And that is, Lord, a personal relationship with Jesus. We pray now, Lord, for even our president here and the cabinet members. Lord, just have mercy and, uh, and give wisdom. And we know, Lord, we, we can be affected uh, by this war, uh, as we can see in our economy, as we see in gas prices. But you told us, Lord, not to have the spirit of fear, but to always trust you in all things at all times. Because you are the omniscient God, omnipotent God, immutable God, a God who is still on the throne, completely sovereign, and you are aware of what's happening in the world in the minute details, and we know that the world is in your capable hands. Help us, Lord, to continue to trust you, and help us, Lord, to teach our children here to place their security upon Jesus, the rock of all ages, the stable foundation. And we know, Lord, that as the days go by, whatever happens, Lord, we are exercised and admonished to look up. Look up, for truly our redemption is drawing nigh. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for praying with me. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles, please, in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2. And we'll be reading verse 1 to 10. And uh, we had a couple of uh, messages already in this uh, series that we've been studying about the rebuilding of the walls, as we had also 
started our project in our church, the Nehemiah Project, as we uh, pray and save for the next uh, God-given property or buildings that we had. We can see we have a very good attendance today. And if everybody comes at the same time, at the same service, I think we don't have enough space. So, and our children are growing. So, Lord willing, at the right time, right place, according to his timetable, God will grant us what we need and what we pray for. So, we need to start, though. Amen? We have to have a beginning of goals and vision. And we thank God as we just celebrated our 34th year church anniversary, we can, you know, spearhead this. So, if you're there, I'd like to request you to uh, please stand as we give honor and reverence to the Word of God. I hope you have God's holy word with you. Amen? The love letter of God Almighty in your hands, the Bible. Amen? I know we try to project the word of God uh, digitally here in the screen, but it's always best to have your own copy of the tangible scriptures. Amen? This is your weapon. Amen? This is your sword. This is your both offense and defense. So we need to have uh, a copy of God's word, and we need to cherish it. So we will be reading... Uh, Nehemiah chapter 2, uh, verse 1 to 10. And for those who are with us, joining us virtually, you can also read with us, all right, all together. So let's begin. And it came to pass in the man of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad? Seeing thou art not sick, this is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid, and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad, when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou, thou make request? So I pray to the God of heaven. And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant had found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, The queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be? And will thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asa, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then he came to the governors beyond the river, and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sambalad the Horite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you so much. So our uh, study today is entitled Steps to Success. Steps to Success. A good title, isn't it? How many of you want to be successful in this life? Amen? Of course, you're just going to be crazy if you don't agree with me. Uh, even a bum or a homeless man would like to be successful in his life. All right? Because we love success. We love victory. We love um, to uh, 
reach goals, uh, fulfilled aims and uh, desires in life. And uh, the other word for the word success in the Bible is the word prosper. All right, the word prosper. So you see that uh, the Bible says that uh, the steps of the man, a good man, are ordered by the Lord. So our uh, success is not just given to us in a blanket that your whole life will be successful instantaneously or immediately, but there are steps you have to take. Kumbaga may mga baitang, mga little levels. You have to, you know, pursue and fulfill to be successful in life, especially when it comes to the spiritual matters. All right, so success is basically good success. is finding and doing the will of God for your life. Amen. Let's let's uh, put that in our in our hearts in our minds. Success is simply finding and doing the will of God in your life. And uh, to prosper to success is just simply doing the will of God in your life. Finding it, doing it, and staying with it for the rest of your life. And how can we find the will of God in our lives? It's always in his word. Amen. It's always in the Bible. It's always in the Scripture. And if you, uh, I don't have the verse there, but if you look at Psalms chapter 1, let's turn our Bibles there. Psalms chapter 1, uh, I like this passage of Scripture. And some of our kids here that are listening intentively uh, knows this uh, passage of Scripture, this chapter actually as one of their memory verses. Isn't it? Psalms chapter 1, verse 1, a great introduction of the Psalter. And if you want to be blessed, if you want to be happy, if you want to be glad as a, a Christian man or woman, as a Christian young people or as a Christian child, if you want to be happy, if you want to be blessed, then you need to follow the principles of this book. Because there are blessing and happiness for a person who is walking in righteousness. Who is righteous before God? Because the Bible says, Blessed or happy is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Notice here the progression. The progression of this man who is trying to please the Lord. He is not, you know, walking in the counsel of the ungodly. While he see the temptations, the snares, the allurements of the world, he's walking in, his, in this world and no. He's not paying attention to it, but what happens if we look at the negative side, the opposing side? He's walking, and he sees the temptation and the snares in the world, and he starts standing, meaning he was enticed, isn't it? And then he began to sit. He was walking, now he's standing, now he's sitting. It means that he was involved in sin now. He fell into that trap, in that snares of the devil. But look at the opposite in verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight, his happiness, his joy, his gladness is in the word of God. And in his law that he meditate day and night. And what happened when he do that? And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. You know, we're all like a tree as a Christian, isn't it? And we need to be planted in the water of the word of God. You know, for sustenance, for strength. For vitality will be planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither because he has sustenance from the word of God. Good fellowship, a good church, a good devotion, a good prayer life, 
a good uh, time of reading God's word. And the Bible says, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. If he delights himself in the word of God, if he's planted a, by a good foundation, if he's walking in the will of God. But the opposite can be said in verse 4, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff. Ano po, alam po yung chaff? Yung, yung uh, ipa, isn't it? When the rice was uh, harvested and their uh, shell is taken out of, what's the use of the ipa? It's nothing. It's worthless. They are like the chaff, which the wind drive it away. You cannot eat that, you know? But the Bible says, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So if you want to prosper, delight in the word of God. Amen? Do it. And do the will of God. And we have a few verses here about the word prosper. All right? The other one is Joshua 1.8. Amen? Okay, kids, you want to be prosperous? You want to be successful in life? All of us. The Bible says, this book of the law, the Bible, shall not depart of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate. How many times again? Day and night, morning and evening. It's a good way to meditate, read God's word. The first time, the moment that you wake up, you know, like put some good uh, verses in your mind, in your heart, and also the, the time that you put your bed, your head in your pillow, and go back, go to sleep. Put God's word, the beginning and then the end of the day. Why? Because thou, thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way. Notice again, what's the word again? Prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. You see, if you put God's word, in front of your life, in the ways of your life, you will have prosperous journey and good success. So, let not this word of God depart out of our mouth. Amen? May we keep it in our hearts and speak it through our lips. Next verse. Alright? As we look at the word prosper, I love this verse of scripture. No weapon that is formed against thee shall... What's the word again, folks? Prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and the righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Aren't you glad that God is on your side? And if you are faithful and you abide in His word, no weapon that the enemy and the world and the sinful flesh will work against you to, to abate, to hinder God's you know, will for you to be prosperous. Because God is on your side and you're walking by faith. Another verse of scripture, Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall, what's the word again? Prosper that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Aren't you glad that God's word is alive and powerful, and it will accomplish its purpose? It will not return void. It will prosper in the hearts of men because the Bible says heaven and earth shall pass away, but God's word will never pass away. It will accomplish its purpose. All right? Next verse, as I review, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, said the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end, to give you something successful or prosperous. Amen? Aren't you glad God is thinking about you? And we know in that verse of scripture that his ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and our ways. Amen? But for a Christian who walk by faith, who live by faith, 
who serve God by faith, his thoughts that he thinks toward you are thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you hope or an expected end, to make you prosper. So what wonderful verses of scripture. All right? So success, once again, is finding and doing the will of God in your life. So simple as that. And we know that Nehemiah was a man who found God's will, and he did God's will. That's why we can say he is a prosperous person. Amen? So look at Psalms 37, verse 23, and Psalms 32, verse 8. Psalms 37, verse 23. As we look at the Word of God, the Bible says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighted in his way. All right, as I said a while ago, notice the steps, not just the life. The life of a good man are ordered by the Lord, but there are also steps. It starts with steps. Then Psalms 32, verse 8. Psalms 32, verse 8. The Bible declares, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go, so you can find success. And God promised, I will guide thee with mine eye. Notice the phrase, I will guide thee. One of the most inspiring truths in all the Bible is the fact that God has a plan for every life. Amen? God has a plan for your life. God has a plan in my life. It's what we call God's divine blueprint for your life and my life. So it matters where you work because God has a plan for your life. It matters where you go to college because God has a plan in your life. It matters who you marry, what career you choose because God has a plan in your life. God does not just call preachers. His divine will and plan applies to all of us. So what is your calling, brethren, this morning? Young people, just take note. You have no right to just decide what you want to do, who you want to marry. If it is not in the Lord, where you want to go to college, we must all seek the face of God. Find out His plan because He has a divine plan and purpose in everyone's life, especially for the believer. You know, Hollywood says, uh, Hollywood says, you know, follow your heart. All right? Date that person. Follow your heart. What the Bible says, though, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? In Jeremiah chapter 13, uh, 17, verse 9. An unregenerated heart, our old sinful heart, it cannot be trusted because it's wicked to the core. Amen? Who can know it? If you just like think about some people who committed such a terrible sin, uh, like serial killer, you cannot even fathom how can they do those such terrible things, isn't it? But it happened because man's heart that is unregenerated and saved is desperately wicked. Who can ever know it, isn't it? That's why we cannot trust our heart. We cannot follow our heart. The Bible says also that our conscience may be seared with a hot iron. Somebody says, follow your conscience. First Timothy 4, 2. But our conscience can be severely callous, completely dead and hypocritical, isn't it? We cannot even follow it and listen to it sometimes. So why is it that the will of God as we view it is so hard? It's like we're taking castor oil, you know? Or when you view the will of God, it's like drinking a cup of uh, ampalaya juice. Yeah, it's good for you, but you don't enjoy it. You hate every minute of it. 
because it's so bitter, isn't it? It makes you want to vomit or puke. You know, God's will is best for you, but you know what? You don't want to take it and do it because our sinful flesh tells us it's hard to do. No set of circumstances will bring you more joy, though, and more success than being in the middle of the perfect will of God. Let me repeat that. No set of circumstances will bring you more joy and more success than being in the middle of the perfect will of God. But you might say, Pastor, if I surrender to God's will, He might make me to go to Africa to be a missionary. Or He might make me to go to Ukraine to be a missionary. Or to Afghanistan to be a missionary. Well, probably not. But what if He does? If He does... You'll find more joy, you'll find more success, you'll find more peace than you would ever have in this life. If it is God's will. But you, if you want, you won't not find those things. Africa, Afghanistan, Ukraine will be the safest place on earth for you. If it is His will. The convenience of life would not hold a candle to the confines of God's love. What I mean is you wouldn't trade it for the world. That's why we thank God for our missionaries, isn't it? We thank God for the testimony of Pastor Benji last Wednesday. He goes to tribal places with cannibalism. He goes to tribal places where he has to cross rivers and mountains just to give out the word of God. He's susceptible to diseases. He's susceptible to lose his uh, life from uh, the communists, the rebels, isn't it? But he knows it's God's will. He's doing God's will in his life, and he thinks and he believes that is the safest place for him. You see, God gives him success. God gives him peace. God gives him joy in the means of difficulties and hardship because he found God's will and he's doing God's will in his life. You know, Jerry Falwell, the late uh, evangelical, said this about success, its definition. He said, success is finding the will of God as early in life as possible and staying in it for the rest of your life. I can see some young professionals here that are trying to do this. They found God's will in their life as early in their life as possible until still keeping doing that until now. By the grace of God. Amen? There's some temptations. They, they have some friends that have fallen on the wayside, so to speak. They have some friends that were put in the shelf. They have some friends who became worldly and backslider and cold and indifferent. You won't find them in the church. You don't know what's happening with them spiritually, but they're still here. It's only by the grace of God. And because they have parents who love the Lord and pray for them. And they have a personal walk and devotion before God. You see, our parents' Christianity will not affect our own personal Christianity. Christianity is a personal relationship with the Lord. It doesn't mean that your grandparents or parents are faithful to God. You will also be faithful to God for the rest of your life. No. You have to work it out your own. Amen? Our personal relationship with the Lord. So what is more pathetic, though, than a Christian who has messed up and stepped out of the will of God? I tell you what's worse than that. A Christian who has, but thinks that they can't get back on track. Aren't you glad God is merciful? Aren't you glad God is a God of second chances and more? So if you don't go back to God as a prodigal, if you don't go back to God as a backslider or cold, then you're worse than somebody who've never known the truth. Because God has always His welcoming hands, amen, open arms to receive us. 
when we fail God. There's no such thing to God for a Christian for a permissive will. God's will always begins today for you, not yesterday. Aren't you glad? God always, God's will always begins today. Present, not yesterday. You fail it, you blew it, that's it. No. God's will always begins today. God knows our strengths, our weaknesses, our capabilities, inabilities, spiritual gifts, innermost longings and desires and deepest fears. So no one is more qualified to lead, guide, and direct our lives rather than our Creator. Amen? Our Father, our friend, our God. And there is a divine blueprint, blueprint for your life. And you can find it if you're willing to seek the face of God, get the mind of God, and to do whatever He says for you to do. Someone might say, there is no way in the universe that God cares about little old me. Oh, poor little old me. I'm so insignificant. I have no intrinsic value. I know it's hard to imagine. I mean, did you hear that they discovered a new galaxy like a decade ago? You know, when they repaired uh, Hubble, Hubble telescope, you know, that gigantic telescope that can pick to the outer rims of our known galaxy, that Hubble telescope, you know, when they were able to repair that, they've seen a new galaxy never seen before that's 13 million light years away. And remember, folks, a light year is how far light can travel in a, uh, it's 186,000 miles per second, how a light can travel. That's so fast, isn't it? It's like the end of my uh, Toyota Sienna, you know? <laughs> but that is so fast. So even if you could go that fast, it would take you 13 million years to get there. Plus, of course, your restroom stops, you know? Huh? 13 million years to go to this new discovered galaxy. So then you remember that there's thousands of galaxies that we know of. How could he even know where our solar system is, our God? How much less our planet is, our town, our church, the little old me? But the Bible says that God does. He knows you and me. He not only knows where I am, but he cares where I am. And even more, he knows how many hairs are on my head. And the Bible says some of us are easier to count than others, isn't it? But he knows even the very hairs in your head. They are numbered before God. So if there are thousands of galaxies and billions of stars and planets, and we're part of that Milky Way galaxy in our solar system in a planet called Earth, how can God know me or you? He knows. Because he has given us his word. Amen? You see, you're not insignificant. That's so, so why I could say, what are the three reasons to believe in a God-planned life? Three reasons, quickly, to believe in a God-planned life. First, a God-planned life, as we look at Nehemiah's success, when he found and he did God's will in his life, first is God's will in a God-planned life is reasonable. Amen? Romans 8.28, For we know that all things work together for good. To, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You know, as a seamstress uses a pattern, as a builder has a blueprint, as a puzzle has a picture to complete it, as a coach has a game plan, as a truck driver has a, a map or GPS to know where he's going, as a cook has a recipe, God has a divine blueprint in your life and my life. You see, it's reasonable to say that God has a plan for every life. And it's all the more reasonable to say He has a plan for the Christian life. For not only do you belong to God, you belong to God twice. 
twice, two times, couple of times we belong to God. First, by virtue of creation. Amen? The psalmist says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The psalmist says, In sin did my mother conceive me. Because we're all born with a sinful nature. Inherited from our first parents, Adam and Eve. So we belong to God universally because God is our creator. Amen? The Bible says in Genesis, let us make man in our own image. And God breathed into man's nostrils the bread of life, and man became a living soul. That's why every life is sacred. Because only God is the one that can usher, grant an eternal soul to a man or a woman, to a child, to a boy or a girl. That's why we don't have any right or authority to take away life. Because God is the creator, the giver of life. So we belong to God by way of creation, but also the best thing of all is we belong to God by way of redemption, salvation. Aren't you glad for that, Christian? You belong to God twice. You belong to God twice, not just the regular people in the world, the unsaved world, they only belong to God once by creation. But if they are not born again, if they are not saved, they haven't belonged to Him truly by way of redemption. Remember, when God created the world, as we studied last Friday, just six literal days, He created everything in its existence, invisible and visible things, things under heaven, things under the earth, things in the earth, things uh, uh, in outer space, everything, by the power of His mouth, by the power of His word. But when it comes to our salvation, our redemption, it took God everything He had. It took him his shoulders. It took him his hands and his feet. It took him his precious life's blood to shed it on the cross to give you salvation. So it's a greater work in a sense of God belonging to us, isn't it? Our way of salvation. Our way our, of redemption. So, ah, thank God I belong to him twice. And no one can take me away from the hands of God. Especially my salvation, my redemption, because of his promise. There's a little story about belonging to someone, something for you twice. There was a story of a little boy who carved a boat with his initials. So he put it in a river, but it got away from him. Later it was found, it was sold to a pawn shop. So the boy got older, and um, he saw his uh, boat that he carved with his initial in the pawn shop. So he told the owner that was, his, that was his. And the owner said, no, it's mine because I uh, bought it. So the boy bought it back and said, little boat, you are now mine. Mine because I made you and bought you. You're mine twice. So very cherishable, isn't it? Very treasured item. Christian, I have good news for you. You are God's twice. Aren't you glad for that? Are you thankful to God for that? Our God has a deep, vested interest in us. And it's reasonable to believe that He doesn't want us to go through life filled with confusion and uncertainty. But to know where we are, why we are here, why we are there, and where we are headed. Because God wants us to be successful. And by doing that, we need to find and do His will. So not only a God-planned life is reasonable, but a God-planned life is Practical. Practical. Hebrews 11, we see here the hall of faith. People who live by faith, who walk by faith. According to examples in God's word, and by much experience as Christians, for those that are Christians here for more than a decade or so, you know, we know that nothing happens in the eyes of God by accident. 
or coincidence, not even the conception of a child. God has a plan. Notice this series of example illustration. Let's look at the life of Abraham quickly. Abraham was told by God to leave his native homeland, the heir of the childish, and he would show him where to go. So it's like husband, Abraham said to his wife, Sarah, come on, Sarah, pack up all our stuff and ride our donkey, and we're going to go to where God is telling us to go. And Sarah asked, where? I don't know, but uh, by faith we will go where God wants us to go. <laughs> and he started traveling by faith, you know? Moses, it's no coincidence, no accident. God ordered him, commanded him to do so. Moses, God's will meant he would have to give up the wealth and honor of his princely position in Egypt. As Abraham gave up his family, his possessions in the Ur of the Chaldees to follow God's, you know, command to him to go to a place, to a city whose maker and builder is God. Same token to Moses, God's will meant he would have to give up his luxurious life and in line to be the next pharaoh his comfortable and influential powerful life in egypt for 40 years and he has to spend 40 years in the desert then taking on his homeland head to head then spend another 40 years trying to lead the group of people who are rebellious before god so we can summarize moses life in three ways he spent his 40 years thinking he was somebody then he spent the next 40 years learning he was nobody in the desert. Then he spent the last 40 years finding that God can take a nobody and make them somebody by his grace. And Moses is regarded as the most greatest leader of Israelite people. Amen? Because he led the exodus of the Israelite nation from the bondage in Egypt. 40 years, he thought he was somebody in Egypt. 40 years in the wilderness, in the desert as a shepherd. He was a nobody, but God turned his life around. Amen? God used him for the last next 40 years of his life to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And God gave him the law in Mount Sinai. And you know what? The Bible says that God's, uh, God blessed Moses that his strength did not wane. His face were never changed. He is as strong as he was 80 years old, all the way he died at 120. God blessed his life for the last 40 years when he led the children of Israel out of bondage and into the wilderness because he was doing the will of God. Wow, amazing, isn't it? How about David? God's will meant living sheepfold and sitting on the throne of Israel. You know, humanly speaking, we would not chose David for the job. When Samuel the priest asked for the children of Jesse, and he went to the oldest all the way to the youngest. And is there any more? And he said, Jesse said, ah, I still have uh, another child who was tending sheep. You know, he's a shepherd and his name is David. And God had chosen him to be the, the greatest king of Israel. But for a human perspective standard, he's not the tallest. He's not the strongest. He's not the best look looking. But when others saw a shepherd boy, God saw a king. It's like a song, amen? When others see a shepherd boy in him, God saw a king. And under the leadership of David, the borders of Israel were enlarged. Israel became the superpower of the world at that time. Jerusalem was established as the capital of Israel. The Ark of the Covenant that was stolen was brought back to the temple where it belonged. And David believed in a God-planned life. 
and was willing to find and do the will of God. You see, God's will is reasonable, is practical. Apart from scripture, though, we think of other examples like Fanny Crosby. You know who this is? Who she is? He's a writer. He's a composer of many of our hymns that we sing here in the church. Don't you know that Fanny Crosby, he, she was blind since six months of age. She said, I know it's God's will that I be blind because I'm not distracted by all there is to see physically. I'm able to see so much more spiritually. Wow, what faith, amen? What faith. She believed in a God-planned life. And let's make her better instead of bitter. And that's why we can sing many of the hundreds of hymns she wrote. Another example of a God-planned life that's reasonable and practical, John Wesley. John Wesley. His mother had one baby per year for 21 years. Wow. Masipag sila, no? Walang family planning. But though he was one of the 17 children who survived, John Wesley grew up in England where the gospel of grace has been lost and the nation was caught up in work salvation and so was John Wesley. He believed that he punished himself enough, he did penance, God would take him to heaven. So he got up at 4 o'clock in the morning, took swims in an ice-cold river, he gave up laughter and jokes, walked 150 miles to college. It took him six days. He was ascetic. He uh, denied himself of the comforts of life. But at college, though, John Wesley learned about grace from George Whitfield. You know George Whitfield? A great preacher in the Great Awakening in England, isn't it? George Whitfield. So when he heard him preach, he was saved. And it not only changed his life, because what do you think? That God used to revive the doctrine of grace worldwide in the 1700s. John Wesley. He believed in a God-planned life. He had no regrets about the past. He knew God could use those negatives from the past, working all things together for good, bringing great things in the future. That's why my Bible says God is no respecter of persons. Amen? If He had a plan for Abraham, He has a plan for you too. If He has a plan for Moses, He has a plan for you too. If He has a plan for David, for Fanny Crosby, for John Wesley, he has a plan for you and me too. So do you believe in a God-planned life? Yes, because it's reasonable, it's practical. Thirdly, it is scriptural. It is scriptural. Look at Psalms 37. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Solomon, the world's wisest man, said, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And what's the result? He shall direct thy paths. So no matter what age you are, God's will begins today and continues each day after that. Because God's will, God's planned life is always reasonable, practical, and scriptural. As a church, we need to find and do God's perfect will. Amen? We need to have visions. We need to have goals. You know, we know that the devil will be active in opposing that, but I challenge you to Look and do the will of God in our lives as a church and as a Christian. I challenge, challenge our teens here, our young people, to come and pray for God's will for your life, for your college, for your career, for your future, for your mate. You know, who would say here, I'm guilty of making major decisions without really taking God's will into serious consideration, seeking the face of God. Isn't it we are all at at some point? 
But you know what? Finding and doing the will of God is still the best kind of life in this life. So here we are. That's the introduction. Amen? I'll go quick. Look at Nehemiah. He was a successful one because he found and he did God's will in his life. Remember, last time we saw how Nehemiah verbalized his goal. Amen? He verbalized his goal at the proper time with a prayerful spirit, with a powerful statement, with that five-word statement that I may build it in Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. So now we're in Nehemiah chapter 2. So after that, Nehemiah mobilized the means, the second step for his success. Not only he visualized, verbalized his goal, but also he mobilized the means, all right? In verses uh, 5 all the way to 10. Okay, let me go back there in the book of Nehemiah. As we know that wishful thinking never achieved goals. If you sit around and have a wishful thinking, it will not do you any good. You have to know in advance what's going to take to reach that goal, and you have to ask God to give you the direction, isn't it? Even Jesus taught in Luke 14, what man builds a tower without counting the cost. Amen? So we have to count the cost because we need to mobilize the means in achieving the goal in paying for that cost. So he went to make the same point, Jesus, about a king planning to go to war. You have to do some planning first, even Nehemiah. All right? So in every area of life, we must count the cost and mobilize the means because people don't plan to fail. They fail to plan. Isn't it? But Nehemiah is an exemption. He was a successful man. He had good success. He was prosperous. You know why? Because he found out what is God's will in his life, and he did it. And what were his, his steps? First, he verbalized his goal, and then he mobilized the means to achieve that goal. You know what? Nehemiah spent four months praying and planning. He thought through every detail, and now when he finally has the ear of the king, he knows exactly what to ask for. Look what Nehemiah asked for. First is permission. In verse 5, And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulcher, that I may build it. Of course, he was the king's butler. He was the king's, you know, um, cupbearer. He is the most trusted person in that room because he has to taste every food, every drink that the king has in order to make it safe that it's, it, nobody's poisoning him or assassinating him by that method. So they have a very close relationship and he's always there during business meeting. He is like the unofficial uh, 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 advisor of the king, of King Artaxerxes, the most powerful person in the time. So he is in a, what we call government service, so he cannot just walk away. Even though he had a command, a vision from God to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, of that ruined city, he cannot just walk away from his job. He cannot be going AWOL. Plus, he needed permission to build the walls. So why do we need permission to do what we know is God's will to a practical degree. Because the Bible teaches that God's people above all people should be subject to authority as good citizens. Remember? 
when we had that vision to hopefully put up a second level here, we still have to notify the borough and staff because the Bible says we need to be good examples. We need to submit to government authorities. And of course, um, we have to uh, work within the framework of our society. We ought to respect and obey the rules of human government. In the exception, of course, is when man's law conflict with God's law. Amen? Then we ought to obey God rather than men, as the apostles did in the book of Acts. Even Jesus paid his taxes, and he was under a wicked Roman rule, isn't it? And he wrote a miracle. He told the apostle to fish, and that, that, that fish that he will be able to cut, to catch, will have a, a coin, and he could pay the taxes. Wish we could do that too, no? Whenever we eat fish, we buy fish, we can find something inside the belly of the fish. Amen? A gold <laughs> coin or something. Huh? But, you know what? Even Jesus paid his taxes because, you know, render unto Caesars what's unto Caesars and render unto the Lord what is unto the Lord. You know, he knows how to be submissive to the authorities above him. So, not only permission, Nehemiah also asked for passage in verse 7. It says there, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 7, Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. All right? Nehemiah is so well researched that he has already has the name of the guy who, uh, oh, crossing the border in verse 7. Crossing the border is a tense moment and the most difficult part of the journey. Can you see how Nehemiah has carefully considered all the details of this undertaking? He asked for letters, you know, to be given to those governors, leaders beyond the border. So he wasn't caught flat-footed. He was ready. He was a man with a plan. He asked not only for permission for passage, but also provision. Verse 8, And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house and for the wall of the city. So, Nehemiah is so versed and so well researched that he already has the name of the guy who runs the king's forest, the engineer. Huh? And he needs lumber yard for the rebuilding of the walls, of the gates. And spiritually, we need the provision of God if we're going to do anything for him. We need a heavenly fuel, amen, to get us all the way. We need some checks from the bank of heaven to pay our way all the way. Aren't you glad God is willing to write you a check if it is according to his will, if it is for his glory? Interestingly, Nehemiah got his supply out of the king's riches. We read that in verse 8. But my Bible says, I get my supply, your supply, not, of my, not out of my king's riches, but according to my king's riches. There's a difference between that, isn't it? Because Philippians 4.19, we know this verse, we love this verse, amen? But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. What a great verse to give us comfort that God knows our needs and God can supply our needs according to his riches in glory. What's the difference between out of riches and according to riches. If you were a street beggar, for example, and you met Bill Gates, 
he walked by and gave you a hundred dollar bill, he would be giving out of his riches. But if he gave you a blank check and told you you can fill it in whatever number you want, then he would be giving according to his riches. Aren't you glad we serve a God that makes Bill Gates look like just a beggar? Or Jeff Bezos? Or Elon Musk? Amen? Because God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he owns the hills and the gold in them. The sky is not a limit with God. His riches extend throughout the universe. And there's nothing you're facing that is not very small for him to supply. Do you believe that, folks? God can supply all of our needs. So he can be glorified. See, you see, Nehemiah gives God the glory. He didn't write a book and start the speaking circuit on how to get what you want from the king. Because he got what he wanted from the king. But he got it because of so much prayers. Amen? While he was asking the king for permission, he, he is still praying to the king of kings and lord of lords and above, up above for him to be granted favor. Truly the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Amen? Throughout history, we see that God is the one on the throne and in full control. It doesn't matter who sits in the Oval Office or who presides over the United Nations. God used Pharaoh to demonstrate his power in Egypt and King Cyrus to deliver his people from captivity and Caesar to send Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem so one verse of prophecy could be fulfilled. And God used two Roman centurions to save the Apostle Paul's life. You see, God can use anybody, anytime, anywhere. Because the king's heart is always in the hand of the Lord. What has God put you, put in your heart to do? Quit wishing for it and looking at why it can't happen and start praying that God will move heaven and earth if it be his will for your life. You see, my future is as bright as the promises of God. Amen? It's so bright that sometimes I have to wear some shades. And I want to make the most of his plans for me. Lastly, amen? amen? Nehemiah was such a success because he found God's will and he did it. Because his steps to success is he verbalized his goal, he mobilized the means, and lastly, he galvanized against the enemy. Verse 10, verse 10. When Sanbalat, oh, we're going to study this. Sanbalat, Sanbalat, I don't know, whatever you want to pronounce it. The Horite, you know, and Tobiah, all right? And there's another guy. These are the main people who will be used by the enemy to discourage him, to stop that great work of rebuilding the temple or rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. You see, once you set your heart on accomplishing what God has put in your life or in your heart to do, there is no looking back and no fearing the enemies the devil will put in your path. The world will not be your cheerleaders. Amen? When you set up to do the will of God, don't expect the world to be your cheerleader, to be your motivational uh, speaker for you. Much opposition will rise up if you want to go forward in your life. You know, there was a story of a lady who told John R. Rice she had never met up with the devil. He said, maybe you're both heading in the same direction. Well, if you never have opposition from the devil when you're trying to do God's will, it may be because he got you right where he wants you to be. And that's a very dangerous time. 
dangerous position. You know? So when you say, let's rise up and build. Let's rise up and build in this church. Let's have a vision. Let's have a, a prayer and let's save up for some money so we can have a, a better building. Amen? When we do that. When you say, let me rise up and build. Let me rise up and build in my prayer life. In my reading of God's word. I'll try to read God's word. The whole Bible in a whole year. I will uh, sacrifice to God in my offerings. I will give my tithes. I will um, give my faith promise missions. And I know God will supply my needs. God will uh, provide all my needs. I believe his promise that he will open the windows of heaven and pour me out of blessings. That there's no room for me to receive it. I will just trust him. When you start doing that, expect some opposition from the devil. You know? But what you need is to galvanize. Galvanize your soul against all enemies and keep your eye on the goal and don't give up for nothing. Because when you say, let us rise up and build, the devil also will rise up to blast you. Expect it. All right? Let me end with this illustration about rising up. There were two frogs that fell into a deep cream bowl. One was an optimistic soul, but the other took the gloomy view. I shall drown, he cried, so will you. So with the last despairing cry, he closed his eyes and said goodbye. But the other frog with a merry grin said, I can't get out, but I won't give in. I'll swim around till my strength is spent, for having tried, I'll die content. Bravely he swam until it would seem his struggles began to churn the cream. On the top of the batter, at last he stopped, and out of the bowl he happily hopped. What is the moral? Is easily found. If you can get out, keep swimming around. Keep swimming around. Keep trusting. Keep believing on God. Because he will supply all of our needs. Amen. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this beautiful passage of scripture. Thank you, Lord, that Nehemiah is truly a great example for us in reaching some form of success in our Christian life. Thank you, Lord, that he verbalized his goal before you. He mobilized the means that God, you had provided for him to achieve that goal. Then he galvanized his soul against the attacks of the enemy, against the attacks of the devil. Thank you, Lord, that your word truly is our sure fortress, defense, and strength. And Lord, we thank you for the example of Nehemiah. Even though he had a comparable, cushy life, but God put a great vision for more of him. And he allowed him to galvanize his heart. And he wouldn't let go or give in until those walls were built. It took him four months of praying and fasting and gave him a great result. Just 52 days that building project was completed. It took more to wait on the Lord than to actually do the work. And it's because you're the one who did it, Lord, on his behalf. So maybe I'm asking here for a person, um, before we end this uh, invitation, of never experience uh, God's saving grace. You can never really be successful or prosperous in the sight of God until you deal with the greatest hindrance to man's success and that is our sin problem sin brings forth death the Bible says in Romans 3 23 for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God it means we are all guilty sinners 
we inherited it, we are involved with it, we are exercised by it, and got us to punish sin because He is ultimately righteous and just and holy. There's hell awaiting for those that will reject His love, His plan to save you and me. But you know what? He loves us so much. He sent Jesus Christ. He took your place and my place. He paid for my sin that it's penalty on the cross with His own life's blood. But it did not end there. After three days, after He was buried, He rose again in power. And now He's sitting in the right hand of the Father, praying for you and me. Praying for those that will hear the gospel, the good news that Jesus died and He was buried and He rose again. According to the scriptures, He's asking you right now to trust Him as your Lord and personal Savior. If you do that, you'll have a personal relationship with the Lord. Then that's the beginning of a successful life, a prosperous life. Because without that salvation, you are dead in trespasses and sin. You cannot please God. You don't have faith to please God. But if you need to settle that once and for all, why not trust Him today? It's easy to be born again. It's easy to be saved. It's simple because God did all the work. All you need to do is call upon His name. Believe with all your heart that He's the only Savior, that you can never ever save yourself. No good works, religion, or rituals will never be enough to bring you to heaven. Only the blood of Jesus and His sacrifice on the cross and His resurrection. Because Jesus Christ claimed in John 14, 6, He said that I am the only way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father or to heaven except through me. So if you're here today, you would like to have a personal relationship with Him. Why don't you pray this prayer with me? A prayer of faith, of calling upon Jesus' name for salvation. Pray this way, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. You rose again for my salvation. Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I'm lost. I can never save myself. And by faith, I ask you to come into my heart and life to be my Lord and personal Savior. I believe that you're the only one that can save me. I repent of all my sins. Thank you for the salvation you've given to me this very moment. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you had prayed that prayer, let us know. Be more than happy to open the Bible and explain to you what you've done. For Christians here, God wants you to be successful. He wants you to have a good success in your Christian life, in your secular job, in your relationship with your parents, with your children, with your co-workers. And you need, just need to know, find and do the will of God in your life in those particular areas. Because God's will, once again, is reasonable, it's practical, it's scriptural. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. What is God's will for your life today? What's God's will for your life in this church for the next week, for the next month? Maybe you have a spiritual gift, a talent, or a skill that's just being put on the shelf. Maybe God wants you to step out of faith and ask Him, Lord, I have, here's my life. Use me, Lord. Let me occupy your business until you come. A lot of things are happening in the world right now. We're living in the end of the last days. The last, I, I could say personally that the Lord might come in our lifetime. See the signs of the time before 
the coming great tribulation is all around us. There's not a moment to lose. You need to give what you have for the Lord, for His kingdom. Maybe that's your prayer. I will not ask you to come in the front, but in your seat, pray to God. Commit that decision unto the Lord and ask Him, Lord, help me to occupy till you come. Help me to be active. Help me to be busy in serving you. Waiting and watching and working and worshiping and praying before you. Father in heaven, as your people pray, I pray that you listen to the intents of their heart. Thank you, Lord, that we found out today, we are reminded of this wonderful truth that true success is finding and doing the will of God. We pray for those that are out of God's will. Lord, be merciful to them. Lord, bring them back to the fold. Lord, help them to realize that living for Jesus is the best kind of life. And living for the world is a waste. It's in vain. Living for our own selves. Living for entertainment. Living for the pleasures that the world is trying to you know, throw at us is a life that is without meaning, without purpose. It's not worth for eternity, Lord, but living for the Lord is the best kind of life. It not, might be the easiest. It might not be uh, without problems or hardships, but we know, Lord, that if we are in the center of your will, there is safety, there is joy, there is good success, Lord. Help this truth, Lord, to remain in our hearts, share it to others, and apply it in our Christian lives. And thank you, Lord, that truly your thoughts toward us are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give us an expected hope, a wonderful success, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what you've reminded us this morning. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.